So when a child sings or used to sing, I don't think they do anymore, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are, it's not twinkling. Something powerful, dramatic, and dynamic is happening to it, right? <laughs> well, yes, and we call that twinkling. Yeah. So, yeah, there's starlight coming billions of, uh, or millions of light years, well, it depends on if it's a galaxy, but hundreds of thousands of light years across space, and it's a perfect point of light as it hits our atmosphere. Turbulence in the atmosphere jiggle the image, and it renders the star a twinkling. And by the way, planets are brighter than stars, typically, like Jupiter and, and Venus. Venus has been in the evening skies lately. And uh, if you go twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are, and you, w I want, you want to wish upon the star, most people are wishing on planets. <laughs> right. That's why the wishes don't come true. <laughs> the planets are the first stars to come out at night. Don't you sometimes feel... Uh, sad about breaking all these myths apart. <laughs> no, no, because I, I, I think it's uh, some myths are, are deserve to be broken apart out of respect for the human intellect. That um, no, when you're writhing on the ground and froth is coming out of your mouth, you're having an epileptic seizure. You have not been invaded by the devil. We got this one figured out, okay? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> discovery moves on. Live from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete encrusted banks of the north branch of the Chicago River, it's the Mike Novak Show. Still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are He's not the most interesting man in the world, but he does stay thirsty. Here he is, Mike Novak. Get ready, here we go. One more time. Hey, technological challenges await every week. Now, actually, this one is not the usual technological challenge at uh, Pirate Radio. I, I'm sorry, Q4 Radio. We are Q4. Arr. And, Shiver me timbers. <laughs> oh, literally. You know, Talk Like a Pirate Day, I think, is coming. I think it's in September, if I'm not mistaken. All right, you're going to probably I'll look, look at it. You'll look it up. I'll look it up. Uh, that's Peggy Malecki from, uh, you know, I, I need to make sure that, you know, I introduce you because there's folks who listen for the first time and uh, um, they might not know that Peggy is the publisher of Natural Awakenings Chicago. Whoop, that was a lousy beer ding. Let's try that again. There Thank we you. go. You get a beer ding for that. And uh, the uh, nominal co-host, actually kind of the factual co-host uh, of the Mike Novak show, um, yeah, I haven't scared you away yet. I don't know why that is, why that hasn't happened. But, and now you got air conditioning in here for me too. Yeah, that was the technology that I was going to be talking about. Um, okay, hold on, everybody, quiet for a second. 
I'm wondering if folks can hear the, the air conditioning in the background. Know, you want me to turn it off and see what makes Yeah, go difference? across the room there. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's a radio experiment here. Uh, Peggy's going. Okay. Ooh, I think that's a big difference. It's quiet. Let's, uh, let's leave it off for a little bit. And if we get warm in here, <laughs> which we probably will because it's, it's muggy out there. It rained last night. Mr. DeMaio will tell us all about that. It's been a really interesting weather week, hasn't it? Especially if you live in West Virginia. Uh, and uh, Rick DeMaio will be here at 1045. But before then, let's let's tell folks what's going on. Uh, and you can always find this at MikeNovak.net. And there's another technological challenge because as we were, as I was coming in today, I got a message from Peggy who said, hey, your website's not up. But it is now. So those things happen, too. Isn't that – if it isn't one thing, it's another. Last last week it was the recording device, and we'll keep an eye on the recording device because it's working. Wait, that, that gets a beard. That quick, quick, quick. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, I got a feeling we're going to be turning that air conditioner back on after a while. Just Yeah, although maybe some kind people will bring some iced coffee to us or something. Something like that. Yeah. Um, my, the coffee I got this morning is almost iced coffee. All right. From, uh, the, the, the S bucks. Um, anyway, um, so today's show, uh, Monarch Butterflies, not right at the top yet. Um, but Kay McNeil from the Garden Clubs of Illinois, uh, is working on something called Milkweed, Milkweed for Monarchs. And, you know, I've talked about this on my show before, sometimes, I think we need to rename milkweed because, and it'll never happen, of course. But I, I think we should call it monarch plant or monarch flower uh, or something like that, just so it has a positive spin on it. Because when you have the word weed mm-hmm. in it, people want to get rid of it. Same with butterfly weed. Butterfly, which is a an Asclepius, and that's the genus we're talking about. There's various kinds of Asclepius. I think there's like seventy different native Asclepiuses in the United States. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, and they're not all in all areas. You know, they're, they're, you know you're going to get a different kind of Asclepius in the desert or in an arid region than you are in the Great Lakes region. Uh, and the monarchs uh, respond appropriately to that. So uh, Kay is here from the Garden Clubs of Illinois because uh, there's a lot happening here um, in terms of Getting, oh, wait, and now I'm looking and seeing, ah, okay, we just got a message from Kathleen regarding the website and why it, we, believe it or not, we actually had to increase the bandwidth this morning just so the site could stay up. (laughs) Isn't that something? Yikes. Okay, technology. I love it. Put another gerbil on the gerbil wheel. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That's what we did. And But we have to get more feed for the gerbil as well. Um, so Kay McNeil's going to be here, and uh, she's uh, got the project Milkweed for Monarchs, and she's trying to, if, if, if I read it right on their page, uh, and I'll ask her about it, she's trying to send out a million packets of um, milkweed, milkweed seeds. Yeah and get people to plant them all over Illinois uh, to help the monarch. But I saw this article, and we'll talk to her about it. You saw it too. Right. Because we were both 
doing a little research on this yesterday, and independently, Peggy and I both stumbled across the same article. Um, and it's uh, Discover Magazine uh, online, and the headline is, Are We Loving Monarchs to Death? And it's basically about, and I didn't realize there were such things, um, sort of monarch factories where they breed or, you know, thousands of them and then release them and apparently... For charity in many cases. So if right, that's it, a, that's yeah. right, or a wedding or something. Yeah, or if someone's having a memorial service, you buy butterflies, people donate to raise funds for something and then they release them. So butterflies are not free. Correct. They they require a little pocket change. In this case, yeah. And it's, it, there was another section, I believe it was going on, to talk about home gardeners or people who think they're doing well to bring the butterflies in their home to protect them from predators, uh, bring the caterpillars in right. and let them become butterflies and feed them fine, tasty morsels of the best milkweed out there. Uh-huh. And when they get loose, they, they're not finding the... F- that they're used to or their wings are deformed or they're smaller yeah there's there's different things yeah. that that can go on and i've always been sort of but but there are people who 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 raise them and i i don't know i mean whether that's good or bad it's it's kind of an interesting new take on uh, what we're doing with the monarchs and it's tough enough for the monarchs. anyway we'll go into that in the second at nine thirty, not second hour, but the nine thirty, uh, when Kay McNeil is here, it's it's it. We could get started now, and then it yeah. gets. Well, that's all we'll talk about. Um, and um, uh, ten o'clock, Lyman Welch, who's the legal director for the Alliance for the Great Lakes, will be here. And this is something that obviously you're very interested in because you sail, mm-hmm. so you're in, you're on the waters all the time of Lake Michigan. Um, we are so geeky here. Uh, before the show, we were sitting here looking at maps of the Great Lakes water basin, okay? And it's really kind of fascinating because in Illinois and Indiana or Wisconsin, it only goes inland a couple of miles or a few miles. Right. Um, and if you look at the other places um, around Lake Superior and, and Erie and Ontario, it goes well inland. Or the entire state of Michigan. Well, it's surrounded by right, Great Lakes. Right. It's but the Great so, Lakes state. So the whole state, though, is part of the basin. Yeah. Whereas Illinois, most of it's the Mississippi River Basin or other river basins and not Lake Michigan. Right. But the, the, where it th- comes closest to any of the Great Lakes is right here in Illinois and up into Wisconsin. So what happened was Waukesha, suburb of Milwaukee, uh, found its water was contaminated by radium, uh, although there are people who claim they could remediate it in other ways. But they said, no, we need Lake Michigan water. Well, the problem is they're on the other side. They're in the Mississippi River water basin. They're over the hump, on the, uh, the wrong side of the hump. What hump? Uh, and, um, and they had to petition uh, to get Great Lakes water and it was granted this week when eight governors, the governors of all the states that border on the Great Lakes, said okay, and Canada had to get involved as well. 
and they had to say okay. And there were really strict conditions on it. And that's why we're going to talk to Lyman Welch because there's a lot of people say, well, this is the slippery slope. You let Waukesha have Great Lakes water. Why can't Las Vegas have Great Lakes water? Why can't why Texas? Why can't we refill Lake Mead? Exactly. It would only take a day. Come on. And just a large a, straw. And a, <laughs> a big pipe. I was thinking, yeah, but a straw, a straw yeah. will work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, who's going who's gonna to inhale it on their side to get it started? That's what I want to know. It's like you're like, <laughs> okay. But I, I think one thing to clarify that a lot of people might not realize what the basin means is that's the drainage. So that's where the that's a really good falls, point. Yeah, the yeah. Water, and if you're outside of the basin and your basin is the Mississippi River, your water is going to be captured and taken away from Lake Michigan, drain into the Mississippi and go down to the ocean, to the bay, mm-hmm. the bay, the um, Gulf of Mexico. Gulf of Mexico. Thank you. He gets the bearding. There we go. I'm thinking Houston. I know Bay. my no, ge- different spot. Ge- I know my geography. Good. Some of it, anyway. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So that's a really interesting um, issue, and uh, I'm I'm very uh, interested to talk to uh, Lyman Welch about that uh, from Alliance for the Great Lakes, and they're one of the environmental groups. And, oh, and by the way, this decision was made this week, and. There's a lot of people unhappy about it. There are people happy about it, and there are people unhappy about it. And it's not just Wisconsin that's happy about it and Governor Scooter Walker. Um, but there are other people who say, yeah, it's a good thing. Although the Cleveland Plain Dealer went after Governor Kasich and, and said he should have vetoed it. I thought that was pretty interesting. So, and, and there's a Duluth paper that says, no, this is a really good idea, and it's pretty fair, and, and this should set a precedent. So there you go. So Monarchs and Great Lakes Water. But before then, uh, something interesting happened to me this week, uh, and that was uh, associated with Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. And they get a beer ding, too. Um, because some of you know that I do a column because I advertise on this show for Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. Um, and, it, you know, you can go to ChicagolandGardening.com and you can always read my column there. One of the, one of the cool things about the magazine, it's, uh, you know, gardening for our region, our area, and it covers Chicago and southern Wisconsin and uh, northwest Indiana and... Uh, even Western Michigan, they have they have reports for from, and you know we go out west to the Mississippi and so forth and so on. Uh, and so I did this plant plant identification flowchart, which is not entirely serious. It's kind of if you've ever read my column, there's <laughs> I call it I it's I call it fact free. Okay, it's fact free garden writing. A fact fact free. Zone fact free garden writing, um, and uh, so I did this little flow chart, and uh, it came out this week. I saw that it had they had put it online, Chicagoland Gardening Magazine had put it online, and so I po- posted it on a few sites, mostly face. You know, and here's here's an interesting thing where you and I talk about social media. Um, I put it on Facebook, and it kind of went nuts. I'm it's sort of viral. All right, and and what's really weird is this is the second viral thing I've done this year. When I wrote the thing about the homeless guy, mm-hmm. 
earlier in the year in February when when the homeless guy I ran in Nick. Nick who I'd been giving money to for years and then I ran into him where he was working in a Chipotle and he bought me lunch okay and it was like I gotta write about this and I put it out there and boom it was being shared all over the place and then it got in the Chicago Tribune and I was on the front page of the Chicago Tribune and that was just weird too um so now I do this thing and this thing is all over the place and what I discovered is that it's a Facebook thing, but not a Twitter thing. And I still, you know, you try to understand what works on which medium. Uh, and there were a few shares on Twitter. Nothing really that great. Not, not, but, but Facebook kind of went nuts. Uh, so it's, uh, in fact, it got shared on a Master Gardener site, uh, which is kind of a national Master Gardener site, and it was over 500 shares and 400 likes and something like yeah, that huge amounts uh yeah well i think some of it on facebook is also that you're getting this great visual showing up and people can look at it and then click and yeah go, wow that's cool whereas there is a visual on twitter but it's more reading the words and oh i got uh jackie tanaka just tweeted speaking of twitter that she's getting a weird Message from the web page, bandwidth limit exceeded. Yeah, we fixed it. <laughs> Jackie uh, and all anybody listening who might have gotten that earlier and decided not to go to. It's fixed. Uh, yeah, I'm going to. I hope. I'm hitting it again. We hope it's still there. I think, it I think seems it seems to be there. Yeah. So, but she, uh, she wrote, so I, I, I'm going to retweet her right now and type, it's fixed. And it could have been worse. What do you mean? What could have been worse? You could have had your MikeNovak.net spoofed to some other site that you might not want up there. They oh, you mean hacked? URL. Hacked no, kind of thing? No, when they hijack your URL and suddenly there's a porn site or something up there. Oh, that'd be great. Oh, yeah, lovely. That'd be just fun. Yeah, okay. So at least it was a bandwidth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, so um, uh, I wasn't even going to mention the Chicago Land Gardening thing, but uh, Peggy said, you got to talk about that. you got to tell people. So I, I hope if anybody's interested, you can go to chicagolandgardening.com and where it says Mike Novak, click on it, and you will see. In fact, I haven't because uh, I've been just sharing the link. Chicago Land, there we go. If you just go to chicagolandgardening.com, and yeah, up in the upper left hand, it just says Mike Novak, and you click on that, and the latest and it comes up. Yeah, and the the plant. Well, you have to click twice. Then it says plant identification. What uh, the two funny things about that? Okay. Um, and I only say this because I know my editor is not listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, it. It says it's they 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 put a tag hashtag humor and they spelled it H U M O U R the British spelling of humor and I'm like what what why are you doing that and they then they can do that now what do you mean now that they're out of the EU they're going to go back to putting that O U in <laughs> this is America this is Chicago <laughs> we're in Chicago um, and then at the bottom it says 
a comical plant identification flowchart from our columnist, Mike Novak. Like, they have to explain that this is not to be taken seriously because they're afraid that gardeners will actually take this seriously. They want, you know, but your your biggest letters say, relax, pour a drink. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I love my editor. I love Carolyn. Um, uh, her humor and mine are not on the same page at all. Not at all. So, there you go. All right. Um, other stuff. Lucas Museum. Lucas Museum. That's an interesting turn of events this week. Yeah, really. Um, I I haven't even asked you where you stood on this. I where what was your feeling about it? I'm a fan of museums, so at the high level, it's like wow, this is cool. But I'm a bigger fan of the open lakefront. Okay. And to put that odd-looking thing that looks like <laughs> you like know, it came out of a giant <clears throat> frosting maker. <clears throat> Yeah. Personally, I thought it looked like a big plop of bird poop, okay? (laughs) That's what I thought. Uh, Here's – it was handled so badly in so many ways. Mm -hmm. All right. First of all, I'm I'm like you. Museums are great. I was kind of dubious about this museum. And if you really, really, really wanted it in Chicago, you would have compromised. He just wanted it on the lakefront. Yeah. So there was no compromise there. It was like no, no taking it to any other neighborhood. So there, that was kind of a giveaway right there. And what I didn't understand about it, what was the tie into Chicago? You know, well, his would, wife is from Chicago. Right, but the content of the museum. Hmm. Maybe there would be some local design artists I don't know. in there. But there well, was, it was supposed to be the Museum of Narrative Arts. Right. But so it maybe there was like some, an Orlando thing for me. Like it, it seemed like an Disney. L.A. thing to yeah. me. Disney or L.A. or New York, but Chicago, it just, I didn't see the tie-in. And, um, you know, one of the things that was really handled badly was the giant bird poop design. Because the minute it came out, it, it got a lot of criticism. At that point, you need to say, this is one design that we're looking at. Here are three more. Mm-hmm. And get that out of people's heads so they can go, oh, turn it into a competition about the design. Oh, I like uh, design three, number three. That's a good one. I hate number two. Um, Four is okay. But no, they didn't even have the brains to do that. Now, which is fine with me because um, I didn't want it there. And uh, I I made no bones about it. it. Actually, the article, there was an article that came out the other day about it. Um, and on Facebook, and I, and I think it was on the Friends of the Park site, and I posted on there, and there were hundreds of people, and going back and forth, and it has really split the city, because there's a lot of people who think that now they think Friends of the Park is an elitist organization. Uh, well, I'm not elitist, and I kind of, I'm glad they did what they did. And for the, you know, and Rom the other day was saying, well, you know, now we now we get a parking lot. Thanks a lot. And I'm like, hey, dude, the judge said their case had merit. So you got a problem with the judge? Is it? Why don't you yell at the judge the way Donald Trump does? Okay, and say the judge is uh, needs to be recused from the case or something. Uh, so, in my view, the lakefront. You know, talking about Lake Michigan as we were a second ago, it's precious. Right. You don't get it back once you, I mean, 
why don't we just tear down McCormick Place anyway? That was going to be one of the compromises. Tear down McCormick Place and put it there. My feeling is, let's tear down McCormick Place anyway. Let's tear up that parking lot anyway and make the Bears fans come in on a shuttle. But no, we got to let them drive in there and tailgate. No. You know, as far as I'm concerned, you could take Soldier Field and raise that puppy too. You know, the spaceship that landed on our lakefront when they ruined the, uh, the, the, uh, the landmark building, screwed it up. Well, I don't really care anymore. Well, maybe that's why the design was bird poop for the Lucas Museum. It was a, con- it was a comment, it was a comment yes. on, on, on Soldier Field. Soldier spaceship, as I as I sometimes call it. So, yeah, that that was. And I guess I tend to be a bit of a purist. Go back to the Burnham plan. Go back to open lakefront access for everybody. And when it starts getting bought up and caught up in everyone's little interests, it's like, wait a minute, let's go back to open lakefront for everybody. You know, as far as I'm concerned, you can tear down Lake Point Tower as well. You can tear down Prudential and all those buildings that are jutting out into the Randolph area. Take all of those down, you know, because they're all in violation, it seems to me, of of the intent, the intent of keeping the lakefront yeah. open. And much of that original intent being it had been ugly. After the fire in, in 1871, they dumped the rubble. Uh, if you look at pictures from when the Field Museum was being built in 1921, it's, it's like a wasteland. You've got IC tracks, Illinois Central tracks there. You've got big piles of rubble. You've got just mud. Mm-hmm. And now it's been converted into parks and gardens and, and a place where millions of people every year get to go look at the lake, enjoy the lake in all the seasons, go to festivals, parties, music. Hey, I'm a curmudgeon on the lakefront. Oh, you're a curmudgeon on the lake? Yep. You know, that's okay. And, but, but, and, but the thing that's, that was really interesting is how many people – thought it was a good idea to have it there. And they said, we're going to get more parkland. Um, I just viewed it, you know, and I understand that part, that part of it. Um, I just viewed it as a land grab yeah. myself. And, it's, and it was another victory for a rich guy uh, over the average citizen. Yeah, and is it, tur- is it tourism and dollars or is it the average citizen? You know, that's kind of, I think, what necessarily wasn't weighed there. Yeah. So, all right. See you, Mr. Lucas. Bye. <laughs> Toodaloo. Bye. Go to San Francisco, which has already turned him down. Maybe he's reopened negotiations uh, over there. Um, the other thing we need to let folks know about, because your magazine is coming out this it's weekend, out. right? Do- it's out. All right. Where is give- – oh, it's right behind you, right, your computer. Natural Awakenings, the July issue. Ooh, on the cover, women farmers bringing new values to farming. We're going to have some of those women yeah, actually, women farmers. That is Lisa. Is that Lisa Kivers? That is Lisa Kivers, gracing our cover. She's going to be on the show next week. Tell Two us weeks. what? Two weeks. Two week. Wait. Today? No, next no, week. Next week. Yeah, no. Next, next week, week is a holiday. <laughs> I know. We will be here, folks, regardless of the fact that it's the third of July. We will have, you know, I don't take holidays off. <laughs> you know, they throw me in the hospital and I barely take off a, a week. So um, Yeah, so um, Lisa Kiverest is gracing the cover of Natural Awakenings. But more importantly, it's our local food issue, which we do every July. And we're focusing on some really interesting women farmers nationally and in the Midwest and how they are really changing the face of local agriculture as well as larger agriculture. 
um, we're talking, Lisa heads up uh, Soil Sisters. She's involved with the group Moses. She's involved in a lot of different groups, and so she's speaking on a national level as well as talking about some upcoming events mm-hmm. that you're going to want to hear about. July 15th, there's a there's an event in... Uh, and she's trying to get some people yeah. to come up. She's getting trying to get people to come up for the Soil Sisters event in southwestern Wisconsin, which is a great tour of farms. You can take all sorts of uh, several-hour classes, anything from fermenting, harvesting, soap making, uh, cooking, preserving... There's a huge farm dinner. It's uh, over three days in August. We'll be talking about that with Lisa. And we'll be talking about a July 15th event up at Prairie Crossing in Libertyville uh, that is for women who might be interested in becoming a farmer. I have a uh, baseball cap that has uh, PRPC, People's Republic of Prairie Crossing. Um, and I was just looking up Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service. That's what Moses stands for, um, and um, it's the conference. The Moses. So, so is she doing like an addendum to the Moses? Because she's involved with Moses. Because the next conference isn't until February. No, this is specifically for women. It's a new event oh, that they're oh, starting I for see. women who might want to become farmers and might want to learn more. Um, it's going to be at Sandhill Organics or Sandhill Family Farms Prairie Crossing Farm, mm-hmm. which is Jen Miller's farm. You talked to her at uh, right the at food, uh, festival. food festival. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> by the way, I just got a tweet from Sarah Batka. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Um, hashtag Mistake by the Lake, the sequel. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, Rob Carthal. The late great uh, the late great Bobby Bearroot uh, tweeted, "Check out Mike's column at ChicagolandGardening.com for the amazing plant identification flowchart." Thank you, sir. Thank you, because I've been talking. I haven't been tweeting. Um, that's well. We got other people tweeting for us. So, <laughs> thank you. So, that's why I said thank you. Yeah, yeah. You know, the problem is uh, you can't. Peggy can't multitask, talk, and tweet at the same time. Uh, but the other reason I wanted to talk about your magazine coming out while we have just a couple minutes left is the um, At the Fork film, which um, is coming out uh, on the 13th of July. And you've got uh, an article right there. Oh, my goodness. There it is. There's the, uh, the documentary uh, will we'll premiere actually all over the country. And, and you were if you were here last week. You heard us talk to the film director, um, uh, Papala. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm forgetting his first name. Um, John. John, yes, thank you. Um, uh, so At the Fork is this really cool documentary about looking at how our animals for food are treated and mm. what's humane, what's ethical, and what's not. And it's not a vegan film, and it's not a... You're never going to eat meat again type of film. No. It's more thought Because I saw the film, and then I went to Cedar Valley Sustainable Farm, and, 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 and I got my, my ground beef, and I yeah. had some burgers. But I think a vegan would be comfortable at the film. Most would be. And an omnivore would be comfortable, as well as everyone who's just kind of on the fence about what's the right thing to do. So the thing is, we need by this Friday to have... Um, enough folks signed up to go to the film so that the film can be shown in Chicago. As I said, they're doing the same thing all over the country where they're 
getting people to sign up, and then they secure the venue that way. It's it's kind of a a crowdsourcing effort, except with the film. It's it's the new way, you know, the social media way of doing things uh, in the 21st century. So I need you to go to my website, MikeNovak.net. Yeah, I, I was looking at that, uh, the, the page, the reservation page, the event page. You can go to MikeNovak.net, and right on the homepage near the top, it will say, well, you'll see the uh, at the fork, and it says click here to make your reservation. Uh, and I hope you do. Um, I, I really hope folks come out. It's a Wednesday evening, 7 p.m. Um, at the uh, AMC River North Theater. Thank you. I, I never remember the name of that the, those theaters. AMC River East. River East, sorry. River East 21. See, this is why I don't remember the name of it. I just know it's... AMC uh, River. <laughs> right. It's, it's on uh, Illinois, basically, 322 East Illinois. And it's like 13 bucks. Okay, I think with, you know, a little extra tax, it's 14 um, for a great cause, and you're really going to enjoy this film. So if you're listening, go make your reservation, and you live in Chicago, go make your reservation right now because... And Mike and I are going to be there, so for no other reason. You've got to come out and say hi to us. Absolutely. So, yes, please uh, do that. Uh, just go to MikeNovak.net and click on the site and... Uh, Get a ticket, and we'll see you on the 13th. So. It is 9.30. Yeah, that's right. So we need to take a short break. And when we come back, Monarch Butterflies with Kay McNeil from the Garden Clubs of Illinois. Um, do we have something before that? I'm not even looking at my schedule here, and I should be. I think we do. Yeah, let me, let me, let me do this. Because um, uh, you've heard this statement many times, and I say it on the show uh, I say it's the biology stupid. Now I'm not calling you stupid. I'm just saying that as a as a way. As a turn of a phrase. As a, it's 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 a term of endearment. Hey, stupid. Uh, and when I say it, I'm 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 usually talking about the soil and how certain chemicals and certain horticultural practices can wreak havoc with the macroscopic and microscopic critters down there. Um. And the same thing applies to the the megafauna, if you will, birds and amphibians and reptiles and mammals. If you don't give them a good home, they're going to pack up and leave or stop reproducing, which is not a good thing. And, you know, we'll talk about talk about iconic and megafauna uh, monarch butterfly coming up. Anyway, that's where Natural Communities Native Plants comes in. Natural Communities native plants are locally grown and sourced, featuring more than 150 species native to the Chicago region. And those plants have been working for thousands of years with our local pollinators and other critters. You need to get native plants. And how do you do it? Well, go to Natural Communities Native Plants. And that's at naturalcommunities.net. Work. Work with the best. You've seen the rest. Now work with the best, which is, well, native plants. Trying to weather the housing market? Consider replacing your windows and siding. Remodeling Magazine says they're some of the nation's most popular projects today. 
Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling and energy needs. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? Hi, I'm Peggy, and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. should have probably uh, played this the other week. Uh, oh, well. But, uh, yeah, I stumbled across that yesterday. Hey, let's go, let's go to the phone line. And uh, Kay McNeil, are you with me? I sure am. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, all the way out in, what's the weather like in Frankfurt? <laughs> well, luckily we had a little rain and uh, uh, we needed it. Uh, all the western suburbs got it before, and we did not. So, uh, oh, out really? Here in the south, we're grateful for any rain we get. Okay, so yeah, because a lot of areas got blasted this week, and as I mentioned before, I'll I'll talk to Rick DeMaio about that. But I didn't realize you guys got skipped over there. We did. Um, and Kay McNeil is with the Garden Clubs of Illinois, and uh, there she is the chair of the President's Project, which is Milkweed for Monarchs. Uh, maybe you want to tell me how that got going, Kay. Well, the way it got going was at a uh, Garden Clubs of Illinois board meeting. Uh, the president said, well, we have money in the President's Project Fund. Uh, if anybody has any ideas, call me. So that afternoon, I called and said I thought that we should do some kind of a monarch thing. 
because the monarchs need us. We're right here in Illinois in the middle of the monarch flyway, and uh, why wouldn't that be a good project? And the rest of the board agreed, and uh, you know how it is when you come up with the idea, hey, you're in charge, so I'm the chairman <laughs> of that. <laughs> yeah. I, knew, I knew when I brought up the idea that I would be in charge, so I set up the program, I designed the flyers uh, that accompany seed sales and that sort of thing, and I, so I do it all. It's fun. I uh, love it. And, and and when you say you do it all, um, yep. you and I chatted the other day, uh, and I was kind of amazed because you're you're gathering milkweed seeds, uh, you know, not not in little tiny Ziploc bags, but like in huge uh, garbage black plastic bags, aren't you? A- absolutely. And uh, anybody who's out there listening this fall, if they have access to a lot of milkweed pods. Hey, I'll be delighted to take them. And maybe we can back up a little bit. Uh, Now, the way the Milkweed for Monarchs program works is uh, we encourage people to give milkweed seeds if they have them and if they understand the monarch business. They give seeds to their friends and neighbors. They educate people and so forth, and that's where it first starts. Then the second thing is many people find that they have no access to milkweed seed they remember milkweed seed from a long time ago uh, when they were kids, and they think, well, where did all those milkweeds go? So we offer a, a thing where if you send me two bucks and a stamp self-addressed envelope, I will send you back three kinds of milkweed, common, swamp, and butterfly weed, which are the most uh, usual for Illinois, and, and lots of literature, so that you get not only seed that you couldn't find prior to that, and you also get lots of information, so it brings you up to speed on the monarch business. Then the third aspect to it is that we will take any pods, any seed, what you were talking about, and uh, we give that to the Illinois Department of Transportation. I've got a wonderful lady uh, who uh, comes and gets the seed from me, and for our first year of giving them seed, we had three construction size bags of milkweed seed that we gave them. They've already seeded most of that. She's coming next week because uh, some people just decided they would be a little late in giving me their seed from last fall and probably have had it sitting in their garage, and they decided, hey, let's get this out to Kay, and so I've got another bag of milkweed seed to give her. But that's one of the great things about this is getting seed into the rights of way. You know, monarchs like a big field of milkweed, Mm -hmm. but... Having a milkweed in everybody's garden certainly would help. So there you have it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Peggy Malecki, uh, who's sitting here with me, and I were talking yes. about this earlier. And there's uh-huh. there's so much to discuss about this. Uh, one of the great things, though, what I uh, and what I like about what you're doing is let's just get the milkweed planted in the right of ways and get IDOT on the case. And, you know, that then it doesn't get into that that controversy and there actually is kind of a controversy about raising monarchs um i did a little more research after you and i talked the other day and and peggy and i mentioned this uh, earlier in the show i don't know if you heard us talking about i did i did not uh, oh okay uh did 
Did did I fail to send you had the information on how to listen to our show, uh, Kay? Uh, yes, yes, I did. And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry to say I did not get that going this morning. Okay, see, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to listen to it on the podcast. <laughs> this is my crusade. Is every time I have, I get people on board, and I, you know, I went to a, a garden talk uh, in the middle of the week. And I was trying to convince people, I say, it's just as easy as listening on your radio. It's just turning on your computer and hitting play. Okay. Uh, so at any rate, what we were talking about this article we saw, are we loving monarchs to death? And this is involved, uh, it, it talks about actually the um, the companies that are raising thousands of monarchs and releasing them for weddings and events and that sort of thing. And apparently some of those monarchs are being diseased where they they come out uh, and malformed um yes you've heard about this oh absolutely uh releasing monarchs and things like that at weddings and so forth not such a good idea hey give away uh, milkweed seed if that's <laughs> your interest as monarchs give it, give your guests seed and uh do not buy uh, monarchs from florida or someplace like that i just went to the brookfield zoo and was in their butterfly house there even is a law that says, uh, let's see, how did that work? And you cannot let the, the monarchs lay their eggs. They have no milkweed in this butterfly house, and apparently there's a law that keeps them from raising monarchs. So when you go in this butterfly house, they have monarchs, but they have no way of laying their eggs because there are no milkweed plants in there. So this uh, raising of monarchs is sort of a weird thing uh, fraught with a lot of legalese apparently wow and so uh but it's just not a good thing to keep moving monarchs from one place to another we'll we'll save them and get this back the way it's supposed to be just by doing what we're doing which is you know spreading as much the stuff the milkweed for monarchs program and other programs you know there's so many more programs now of save our monarchs that's one of our partners they put together uh, very pretty swamp milkweed packets, not common milkweed. You know, that's the invasive one. Yeah. Swamp and butterfly weed are not invasive. They have tap roots like a carrot, so uh, they're not moving any place by roots. They'll seed, but so anyway, Save Our Monarchs gives you a little sample and a pretty packet. It's a nice thing to give away at parties, and a lot of garden clubs and other groups are passing these out. This is sort of unusual. I got a call from Monsanto the other day, and I'm thinking, well, what does this mean? Anyway, it turns <laughs> out that Monsanto has a butterfly garden on their property that's south of DeKalb, and they were passing out milkweed seed from Save Our Monarchs that they bought from me for uh, a parade they were having. <laughs> but let me tell you, when I saw Monsanto come up on the uh, caller ID, I'm thinking, hmm, what can this mean? And my, my husband laughed when he saw it, and he said, oh, this call has to be for you. <laughs> uh, wow. Not everybody well, gets a call from Monsanto, I have to tell you, Kay. Well, and I, I thought, well, probably they're putting a picture on their annual, the front of their annual report of this butterfly garden. No, they're putting a picture of you on their annual report. <laughs> like that that'd be fun <laughs> oh yeah no you don't want to you don't want to end up on the monsanto annual report i don't think uh, oh boy i don't think so um but uh, that's Kay mcneil from the garden clubs of illinois a couple of other things here i uh you know we you talk about gathering uh the milkweed pods and seeds um one of the th- and you talked about the common milkweed being invasive it depends on your definition of invasive because in, yes. i i want it to grow 
in my backyard. Yeah. I lost a few plants. I don't know why, but they've popped up other places, and I don't care. And it's like, yeah. okay, just keep it going. Let's keep those. I'd love to have it in my yard. Yeah, uh, you don't I, have... I have swamp milkweed. That grows like crazy. I cannot get common milkweed to grow in mine. Really? Yeah. I'll so be... send it over. All right. I'll give you, I'll give you some of those pods. Um, and I, I call them, you know, we, um, what do we, uh, oh, uh, you know, uh, seed bombs. You know, mm-hmm. you, you just toss them into the yard or somebody's field or something <laughs> and, and hope that they all germinate. Um, but I'll tell you what, I, I would love some of that swamp milkweed. Okay. So you and I can sw- switch. Uh, but if you want to talk invasive, it's the cup plant that is, is like, <laughs> do, you, do you have any of that, uh, Peggy? No. Okay, you don't want it. All right, you don't yeah, want... Yeah, cup plant, you cut, have to be sure you cut those flowers off when they start to go to seed. Um, they're, they're all over my neighborhood, and I know it all started in oh, my geez. in my yard. Oh, it's your fault. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's totally my fault. I mean, and nobody knows it except me because of the other people. I mean, I two doors down, there's a big stand of cup plant, and those people don't know what it is, and they don't cut it down, and I'm like, okay, you, you, you want it to grow, whatever. Uh, can, can I ask a milkweed question? Yeah. So for somebody who wants to start milkweed in their yard, is it truly take a handful of the puffy seeds and throw it, or is there a better way to make sure it grows? Well, you can plant, the way I suggest that people plant the seeds that I send them is that they mark out a territory, they rough it up, they put a stick in the middle to remind them where it is, and then they just broadcast it around. Now, if you can't resist putting a little dirt on top of it, make very little uh, use very little dirt, but you sort of have to look at what the plant tells you. The plant in the fall sends all of its seeds, and there's a heck of a lot of them in those pods, sends all those seeds out on little parachutes to drop where they will. They run into a tree, it rains, whatever it is, and that seed just needs good contact with the earth. Uh we're talking about monarch butterflies, obviously, and, and milkweed, and um, that's Kay McNeil on the phone from the Garden Clubs of Illinois. And Kay, uh, I did a little research yesterday about because I wanted to find out where we stood. And if you go to my website, MikeNovak.net, um, I put the chart uh, up there about how the monarchs are doing this year. Great. I got that from Monarch Watch. Yes, Monarch Watch is a wonderful group, uh, and so many of these Monarch wa- uh, groups, you think, oh, well, they're all doing the same thing. They sort of are, but they definitely don't. You know, each one has its own focus, and uh, now let's see. I had some statistics for you that I found my little scrap of paper here. In 1996, there were one billion Monarchs. Right. And in 2013, they were down to 33 million now, don't ask me who's counting these, but, you know, that is a dramatic well, what, change what in they, numbers. Well, what they do uh, to to do the count is they measure the hectares uh, yeah. in their overwintering uh, forest right. in Mexico, uh, and then they extrapolate and get a number that way. Now, there are some people, Kay, who claim that the one billion was an anomaly, but the problem oh. is we didn't even know where the monarchs overwintered until the late 70s. Till, till- so Not we, too long ago. Right. Exactly. So we can't, we don't really, we don't have decades and decades of information about it. No. We do know that the one billion, it topped out in one billion, as you said, in the winter of 96, uh, 97. Um, and since it bottomed out two years ago in the winter of uh, 13, 14, we've gone up from uh, 0.67 hectares to 4.5. 
0.01 hectares of uh, monarch butterfly this winter. Here's the problem, though. There was a late winter storm this year. Yes, everybody emailed me frantically, oh, no, snow. But then I got the emails that said, oh, good, snow's melting. (laughs) Well, here's the problem. Uh, And I went, again, researching this, and there's not a lot of coverage on it. I'm kind of surprised that there isn't more. Um, I'm surprised, too. Yeah, because I, I went on trying to look uh, look this up, and I heard these reports, and I found a report from um, uh, from Canada, the uh, CBC, and, uh, and I saw another one in the Detroit Free Press. Uh, the idea is that there was this late storm that there was snow and cold, and they were not able to, to measure the exact damage. So now they're kind of doing it anecdotally uh one of the the researchers said uh, a number of the butterflies coming up from mexico into texas had battered wings and looked like they had really had a rough time and that that the cold and the snow in that storm had taken its toll so there's no real way at this point from what i can gather to know exactly what the mortality rate was some people said it was 15 percent uh, and some people think it might have been worse. So mm-hmm. the, the you know coming out of the winter, we don't real so we don't really know what damage that storm did, and we might not know until this coming winter. It's it's an inexact science. Exactly. Um, so uh, that's sort of the status. Uh, so if you're seeing a lot of monarchs this year, that's a good sign. If you're not, maybe it really did take its toll. I haven't seen a monarch yet. Have you, Kay? Well, I have not seen a monarch yet either, and I keep looking at the field behind my house. It's full of common milkweed, and they're starting to bloom. The butterfly weed's blooming back there, and I keep thinking, come on, you monarchs, where are you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm waiting, and, and that's. I think you have to just assume that we're doing better, the best we can, and doing better. I've gone to a number of rights-away conferences at, at uh, University of uh, Illinois, Chicago, and they have put on, had wonderful speakers, and they're getting the uh, people who have uh, power lines, you know, and all that wild property underneath there to put in milkweed. They're getting railroads interested in it. They have people come from all the states around Illinois to these conferences. I have to tell you, I am being the Garden Clubs of Illinois lady there, who is a retiree. I'm a little, I'm, I'm the lightweight in the in the room. But they all took home my milkweed seeds. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, you do have value. By the way, I'm looking at a tweet here from Sarah Batka, and, and she's responding to what you said about milkweed being invasive and she says be careful aggressive does not equal Mm -hmm. invasive and she's right some plants are (laughs) aggressive now i i I would say cut plant is invasive uh milkweed is aggressive uh and it kind of depends you know and given that we need milkweed for our monarchs if it shows up in your yard i say deal with it you know that's that's my uh response to it one other thing that i wanted to mention when i was doing my research another group that i like a lot we mentioned monarch watch another one is the monarch joint venture yeah and they've got a terrific uh uh, site uh and and they keep up on this and they had a report uh and and let me just read this to you because it is very important a new study by the monarch conservation science partnership reveals there is a substantial probability 
of a quasi-extinction of the eastern monarch butterfly migratory population within 20 years if, if ambitious habitat restoration and conservation goals are not achieved. Quasi extinction means that the population reaches levels that are so low that it would be unlikely to recover. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know that's well, that's scary uh, to we, see we that. We just need to double down and spread more milkweed seed to friends and neighbors, and hopefully our politicians will start to recognizing that they need to get this into the uh, roadsides also. Well, and the good news is that in uh, Illinois, passed a bill, you know, they, they can't pass yeah. anything in Springfield, <laughs> but at least they passed a bill to create a butterfly-themed license plate sticker that will generate yes. revenue for planting milkweed. That's, well, yay, you, yay. Can't, you can't do anything and you got something done, you legislators down there in Springfield. Right. How about that? <laughs> Unfortunately, the, the president of the United States decided he would put his money uh, into a project west of the Mississippi, but that doesn't mean that Illinois and its volunteers and its people who love these monarchs can't rally and we'll do our own thing. I-57 goes the whole length of the state. What a great place to put milkweed. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and for, for any, oh, I've got one little uh, extra thing that I learned sure. at the Rights Away conference. Uh, people will say to me, well, aren't the cars going to hit the, mil- uh, the monarchs because they're attracted to the milkweed along the road? No, somebody brought this up, and they said, if there is a big enough stand of milkweed, the monarchs stay in the milkweed. They don't cross the road, go back and forth across the road. They will stay in a good uh, milkweed area. Okay. And, you know, there's so, going to be that, but the more monarchs you have, uh, the, the more are going to survive, all right? So. Yes. Before I let you go, Kay, do you want to give us a, a, a little bit on the Garden Clubs of Illinois? Want to do a little plug? Well, Garden Clubs of Illinois is a great organization. If you call, uh, if you look at their website, you can get their phone number. If you are interested in the Garden Club that's near you, it's easy to find one. Just call the uh, GCI office, and Pat, our secretary there, will be delighted to help you. And uh, that's it, pretty much. Uh, find a local garden club near you. They have such great programs. You always are learning something. And, it's, and, and I it, think that's what a lot of us really love to do. So Yeah, and, and, and one of the things that I like um, about what's happening now with the Garden Clubs of Illinois, because I've been speaking, um, doing garden talks for a long time, uh, and I'm watching this evolution, and it's going from, hey, we've got the perfect hosta leaf or the perfect rose, and now it's like spreading milkweed and growing food, and it's good to see the evolution of a lot of these garden clubs and becoming more relevant, basically. Absolutely. You know, it's all, most clubs have a service project that they do in the community, and so many communities around the Chicagoland area have been embracing the monarch effort and putting in butterfly gardens and so forth on public land. Uh, Townships around Cook County doing the same thing. So it's uh, uh, really a great effort. Well, it's been great talking to you, uh, Kay. I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. By the way, if you want to find out more information, go to GardenClubsOfIllinois.org. Uh, you can also go to my website, MikeNovak.net. I've got a bunch of links and the information about the monarch butterfly if you want to get up to speed on that. And, Kay, um, I hope uh, we talk again very, very soon. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for calling. Just want to remind your listeners to uh, go online, YouTube. 
Kay McNeil, Milkweed to Monarchs. You'll learn more than you ever thought you could about Monarchs. Oh, so, by the there b- you have it. By the way, Kay, <laughs> I, I put your address up there on my website. Oh, wonderful. Yes. yes. I, love, I love to share my address, my email, my phone number with anyone. So. <laughs> well, and the, po- the point is, if you send her a couple of bucks and uh, send in, and I've got the, uh, the address there, she will send you oh, wonderful. Thanks. the, the uh, milkweed samples. So you get one of each, right? The common milkweed. Exactly, exactly that. You sw- betcha. Swamp milkweed and um, what was the third one? Butterfly. You weed. get butterfly swamp milkweed, butterfly weed, and yeah. common milkweed. Okay, yep. great. All right, Kay, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, Mike. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. It's the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio. We put the uh, air conditioner back on, and yeah. you can't really hear it. It's there, and it's cool in here. I like that. Okay. Second hour coming up. Stay tuned. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, on Q4 Radio, and at MikeNovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak. And that's a shout out, little Stones music for Sarah Batka. Back when uh, I was at Progresso Radio, she always said, you got to play more Stones. So there you go. That's for you, Sarah. You get a beer ding as well. And thanks for, uh, for all your tweets. And uh, we should remind folks. Uh, and, and by the way, she just did tweet, um, I have not seen any monarchs yet in the western burbs. Uh, Tree Guardian uh, tweets, planted three butterfly weed plants a couple of years ago that are now blooming and have become 13 plants, Ooh. moving some in the fall. Ooh, wouldn't mind that. You know, my yard is not really that set up uh, for for some of the for some reason the uh, the common milkweed works great there and I've I've done the butterfly weed and it disappeared on me after a few years so I, the conditions are not exactly right for that uh, second hour of the Mike Novak show as uh, Peggy and I talked earlier there was a big decision this week about Great Lakes water. Um, in 2008, there was something known as the Great Lakes St. Lawrence River Basin Water Resources Compact that became law, uh, and it brought together eight U.S. states 
and the ones that all border on the Great Lakes. And the idea was to come to an agreement about how we're going to deal with that precious resource. You know, if you look at the Great Lakes, virtually 20% of the fresh water on the planet is right there. And those states work in concert with the Canadian provinces of Ontario and Quebec. Quebec or Quebec. Quebec. You, you, you wanted to get that in Quebec. To those Quebecos, the however Quebec- you say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the first, cha- uh, this is, I guess this is kind of a challenge to the integrity of that compact happened this week. So let's uh, bring in Lyman Welsh, uh, who's uh, the, is it Welsh or Welsh, Lyman? Uh, it's Welsh. Welsh. Lyman Welsh, uh, the uh, legal director for Alliance for the Great Lakes. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Well, thank you, Mike. Glad to be here. It was a very interesting decision, and I think... Um, kind of under the radar uh, this week it, it, for as an important a decision as it was in, in, in an election year. There's always a lot going on, uh, and yet I can't think of uh, an issue that is more important than how we get our fresh water. But I would like your take on what it was that was decided by the eight governors and uh, the uh, provinces of Canada on Tuesday. What how would you characterize this? Well, this was a, a, a precedent-setting decision for the Great Lakes. Uh, what was involved is the city of Waukesha, Wisconsin, uh, which is located outside of the Great Lakes Basin, but within a county that straddles the border uh, between the Great Lakes uh, Basin uh, and is allowed under the uh, Great Lakes Compact to request Great Lakes water if it's exhausted uh, all its other options. Uh, And the decision that uh, took place was the uh, governors of the eight Great Lakes states, under the provisions of the compact, agreed to uh, Waukesha's request for Great Lakes water uh, with uh, several conditions placed on uh, the decision to allow them to accept Great Lakes water. And this is really the first time under the Great Lakes Compact uh, that the uh, Compact Council has made a decision to allow uh, Great Lakes water to be used by a city uh, outside uh, of the Great Lakes Basin. And as we explained earlier on the show, and some people might not have caught it, the the basin is basically where the water drains into the Great Lakes. On the other side of the basin, where Waukesha uh, technically uh, sits uh, is the Mississippi River Basin. So the water is going west at that point, and on the other side, it goes east into the Great Lakes. Um, and uh, if you look at a map, uh, it's a very thin line uh, along uh, lower Wisconsin and uh, in Illinois. Uh, there's very uh, little land between uh, the Great Lakes Basin and the Mississippi Basin uh, there. So uh, I think it might surprise people that Waukesha being so close to Lake Michigan is on the other side uh, of that. But that, you know, you guys are dealing with science here in the laws of of nature, right? That's right. The the basin uh, of the Great Lakes, uh, is, is, as you say, where the water drains, and uh, that uh, division or that divide uh, 
does not respect political boundaries, uh, that the water falls one way or, or the other, uh, depending on you know the, the topography and, and the way uh, the, the land and water is, it was created. So the uh, design of the Great Lakes Compact was to follow uh, where that uh, divide is uh, existing uh, and use that to make determinations on how to keep uh, the water within the Great Lakes Basin and to manage it efficiently and conserve it for future generations. So you, you mentioned that Waukesha had petitioned to get that water um, a while ago, and they had to keep coming back to the table with modifications in their plan. What, what things changed over the years? Well, this uh, Waukesha has been uh, looking to uh, use Great Lakes water for several years. Uh, Waukesha has an issue with uh, radium uh, uh, contamination in uh, their deep uh, groundwater aquifer, a problem which is shared by several other communities uh, in the region. Uh, but rather than uh, uh, building new treatment to handle it, they were looking to get Great Lakes water. Uh, and over the years, uh, they uh, had applied first, uh, as is required by the compact, to Wisconsin and looked at a number of different alternatives for where to get their water supply, uh, considering uh, Milwaukee and, and other uh, locations, but they ultimately ended up uh, making an application uh, where they uh, plan to uh, stop using their uh, well uh, water supply and to use Great Lakes water that they would purchase from the city of Oak Creek in Wisconsin and then pipe it into uh, Waukesha for use and then treat it and return it via the Root River uh, back to the Great Lakes. And that's the proposal that was first reviewed uh, by the state of Wisconsin and then sent forward for regional review, uh, first uh, by uh, all the Great Lakes states and the Canadian provinces, and then finally by the uh, Compact Council that made the decision last week. There are some people who say that uh, they still say they don't need Lake Michigan water. They could uh, fix the problem some other way. Uh, is is How does the... Um Alliance for the Great Lakes feel about that? Well, the Alliance uh, raised concerns uh, with the proposal, along with uh, other groups. Uh, we you know, believe that there were reasonable alternatives that they could use uh, to address their water, and the, the proposal also included supplying water to several other communities outside of Waukesha. Uh, and it's important that the, the Compact Council decision uh, reduced the size and the scope of the water that would be diverted uh, to limit it essentially to uh, the areas that are currently served by the city of Waukesha uh, and excluding those other areas uh, so that the uh, application uh, that was originally provided by Waukesha uh, was reduced very significantly uh, and limited basically to where they, they are currently serving. Uh, and with those conditions and, and some other conditions that were added uh, that help ensure uh, the enforceability of those conditions uh, on the city of Waukesha and Wisconsin, if, uh, if other states uh, are concerned, um, this uh, really improved uh, the uh, proposal's compliance with the provisions of the uh, Great Lakes Compact. 
That's uh, Lyman Welch. He's the legal director uh, for the Alliance for the Great Lakes. Uh, We're talking about the decision to allow the city of Waukesha, Wisconsin, to basically tap into the Great Lakes watershed. Um, And it has turned out to be, even in this short time, because it just happened this week, Lyman, but it's it's a fairly controversial decision. I did a little little, uh, searching on it. And the responses to it are kind of all over the map. Um, I, I saw the Cleveland Plain Dealer. They're really upset with Governor Kasich. They said he should have vetoed it. Um, I saw a paper out of Duluth that said, no, it's really, really fair. I saw um, an Ontario group. It seems that the people on the Canadian side are more unhappy about this than on the American side. Have you noticed that? Well, this... Uh proposal attracted a great deal of attention across the entire Great Lakes region. Uh, During the opportunity for uh, public comments, uh, there were thousands of of people and and groups that uh, wrote in or appeared and and testified uh, during the public hearing, uh, many of which were were opposed to the proposal. Uh, And uh, I am, uh, you know, impressed at the seriousness and the the consideration that was given by the members of, of both the regional body that included representatives from Ontario and Quebec in Canada, uh, as well as the other uh, representatives on the, uh, the Compact Council uh, representing the governors of each of the Great Lakes states. Uh, they really uh, took their responsibility to review the application seriously uh, and uh, spent a great deal of time looking at the technical details. The question that a lot of people have about this now is, where does this stop? If you allow one municipality, I mean, you mentioned there are other municipalities around Waukesha that have the same issue with their groundwater. Uh, Are they going to line up for this? Uh, If so, does that mean that other states are going to get into the act? Is, you know, the, the great fear for people in the Great Lakes is, Will our water end up in Texas? Will it end up in Arizona? Um, is this a slippery slope? I think not. Uh, the design of the Great Lake Compact uh, was set up to keep the water within the Great Lake Basin. So, uh, you know, communities in Texas or other uh, areas outside, far away from the basin, are, are not allowed to uh, apply for Great Lake water. There are, are just limited exceptions in the compact that allow for communities like Waukesha that are uh, you know, located in an area that straddles uh, the divide between the, the Great Lakes Basin and, and uh, you know, other areas outside of it that, that can apply through this provision. Uh, and uh, you know, we at the Alliance of the Great Lakes have, have looked at other communities, and there are um, you know, several other communities that are, have been following uh, Waukesha's progress, and, and I think as they look at the number of years and the millions of dollars that Waukesha has had to spend uh, doing the technical design and review and, and the seriousness that the uh, region uh, took looking at this proposal, uh, you know, let alone the, the cost of, of engineering to actually build the, the diversion and upgrading their, their treatment facilities to, to uh, return the water to the basin, I think all of those will will encourage other communities to think carefully 
before taking the step to uh, apply for a diversion under the compact. Uh, so I guess you would say uh, at this point uh, the compact is is intact, that it's holding up, that it's working the way it was designed to work. Uh, the design of the, of the, the compact uh, was very innovative in, in setting a framework for uh, the entire region to participate and weigh in uh, on decisions like this that, that affect all of us in the Great Lakes region. Uh, and I, I think we're pleased by uh, the changes that were made uh, through the process by the Compact Council by putting conditions uh, on the diversion, uh, and those conditions improved compliance with the, the Compact. Uh, I, I do also think that, you know, moving forward, as uh, we've seen this first uh, a, a attempt and review at this level, uh, that I, I do think that the, both the regional body and the compact council uh, will need to look closely at their uh, processes um, to, uh, you know, allow you know, more opportunities for the public to participate uh, in a meaningful and timely way as uh, future proposals uh, move through a, a regional review process like this. Have you been? Are you, are you one of the people who gets to sit in the room uh, when the governor's teams debate these issues, Lyman? Well, uh, actually, during this review process, uh, it, the uh, debates and, and decisions uh, were open to the public. Uh, and at both the regional review level uh, and for the, the Compact Council decision, those meetings were held here in uh, Chicago. Uh, and so I was uh, able to sit in on uh, many of those sessions as well as the final decision with the Compact Council. And uh, it's very uh, you know, interesting to listen to the debates by the, the different representatives and, and you know, how the differing reviews uh, were uh, addressed in the language as they arrived at uh, at their decision. Yeah, the, the reason so it, the reason I asked is because, you know, we're dealing with eight different states and the the politics in each of those states is very different. Um uh the, the and the common aspect is that they border on the Great Lakes all all of those states, but um it I'm 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 thinking of, you know, herding cats or ducks mm -hmm. or something like that uh in trying to get and and, and then you have to bring in uh, a couple of provinces in, uh, uh, you know, Ontario and Quebec. Um, so there's got to be a, a lot of uh, dosy doing uh, in the room. It seems to me. Well, I well, you're right that uh, there are different uh, different views, and and the process was set up uh, that uh, allowed the Canadian provinces to have a seat at the table uh, through the regional body uh, agreement uh, between you know. Uh, the eight states and, and the provinces, uh, and there was a, a, several meetings uh, over over several days before the regional body, as they uh, you know carefully looked over the language uh, and the technical issues, and and discussed a, a lot of issues uh, that and the viewpoints that they had. Uh, and I give some uh, you know credit to uh, the province of Ontario in particular that did their own uh, technical review. Um, along with, you know, the state of Michigan did a technical review as well, and uh, representatives from Michigan, uh, Minnesota, and, and, and New York in particular were very uh, uh, careful uh, on the conditions that, that were placed and helped in that uh, process immensely.
I see a lot from time to time of threats to the compact, things that you see in the media, Lyman, um, that, well, if this state goes more for economic development, et cetera, et cetera, there's a greater chance of the compact falling apart because it does depend on unanimous votes. What's the current status of that with more and more Republican governors and more and more uh, economic? You know, I was looking at the uh, annual report for the Council of Great Lakes Governors and the premiers, and economic development's kind of very high on their list right now. What do you think the future is for the compact? Is it going to be a battle? Well, one of the, the uh, good and, and key elements of the compact is that it's it set and formalized the process uh, for the states in the Great Lakes as well as the provinces uh, to look at the water resources to improve uh, conservation and efficiency measures uh, and to have a, a process where when there was an application uh, like Waukesha's uh, to divert water outside of the basin under these limited exceptions, uh, that it would be judged uh, on the basis of criteria that were clearly laid out in the compact and agreed to mm-hmm. uh, by all of the states in the region. And I, I believe that in this process, we've seen a great deal of public interest uh, in the proposal as it's moved forward from across the region, uh, not just the state of Wisconsin where this proposal originated, but all of the other states in, in the region and, and the public that participated. Uh, and I, I think that that's, that public interest is necessary. And our, our work as uh, you know at the Alliance for the Great Lakes as an organization working to protect and restore the Great Lakes uh, is not over with this decision. Uh, we'll be working actively to monitor how Wisconsin uh, enforces the conditions that were placed uh, on the diversion and how Waukesha moves forward over the years as they uh, you know, build and, and construct the infrastructure and, and begin using Great Lakes water. Yeah, I imagine you, you, you know, Waukesha said they're going to put water back and it will be treated uh, before it goes back, and you uh, obviously have to set up some sort of monitoring system for that. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the key provisions of the compact uh, for this diversion uh, is that the water will be returned. So it, it, uh, you know, virtually 100% of the water taken out of the Great Lakes uh, Basin by the diversion and used by Waukesha uh, will be uh, returned back uh, into the Great Lakes Basin through the Root River. Uh, so monitoring that is one of the conditions that was uh, placed uh, on the diversion uh, by the Compact Council to make sure that all water quality standards are met uh, and that uh, the water resources and ecosystem will be protected. Uh, and that will be very important uh, for uh, people in Wisconsin, uh, if especially communities that are, are downstream, uh, like we're seeing, uh, to be watching, as, as well as all of us in the region, to ensure that uh, the ecosystem of the Great Lakes and, and the water uh, resources approved by this uh, agreement are protected. Yeah. So obviously, Lyman, you're not going to be standing there. Um, Joel Brammeyer is not going to be standing there. What's the Alliance's role in helping to make sure all this happens? You're, you're more of a, a policy group. Well, you know, the Alliance for the Great Lakes, we're a nonprofit organization working to protect and restore the Great Lakes. Uh, and we have been actively involved uh, 
you know, monitoring uh, the uh, progress of the Great Lakes Compact, uh, reviewing uh, the the conditions that uh, were being proposed, and uh, you know, letting the public know and, and when there was uh, opportunity to involve uh, themselves in the process and to influence that. Uh, now that the decision has been made by uh, the Compact Council, uh, the uh, people at, at the Alliance for the Great Lakes, uh, as well as other groups in the region, will be uh, you know, watching and making sure that uh, the city of Waukesha and the state of Wisconsin uh, honors the terms of the agreement that uh, were reached here uh, and to make sure that the Great Lakes are protected. A lot, that's Lyman Welch, who's the legal director of Alliance for the Great Lakes. And before I let you go, uh, I want to get into a couple of other issues here. Um, uh, among the things you guys pay attention to are clean water, conserving water, invasive species, um, and on and on. And one of the one things that has happened in the last few years is algae growth uh, in the Great Lakes. Uh, and from what I understand, and I could be wrong, you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but part of the problem is that uh, the we used to have the uh, the point runoff where, you know, you, you knew where the pipe was and you had to shut down the pipe from going in. And now we have non-point runoff, which is um, a, a million little leaks into a river that ends up going into Lake Erie and creates an algae bloom. How do you address that? Uh, and and are, are you making headway? Because it's only been a couple of years since we had uh, a really nasty, particularly nasty algae bloom uh, outside of Toledo. Well, you're right. Uh, the algae is a, a serious uh, threat, uh, both uh, to Lake Erie as well as other communities uh, around the Great Lakes. Uh, and uh, one of the major sources there is from the non-point agricultural runoff. Uh, I, we've been pleased at uh, a commitment that was announced there by uh, Michigan uh, and the state of Ohio and the province of Ontario to reduce the amount of phosphorus uh, being uh, you know, run, allowed to run off uh, into uh, Lake Erie. And it's very important that, uh, that now that we have that commitment, that measures are taken to uh, implement those reductions uh, so that we reduce the load of phosphorus and, and reduce the algae that, uh, as you say, it really threatens recreation and uh, drinking water for uh, folks in the region. Uh, yeah, I saw a report the other day, um, um, Dr. Linda Chalker-Scott, she she writes for um, something called the Garden Professor's Blog, and she was talking about phosphorus. And I she she was saying that we end up having a lot more phosphorus in our soil often than we realize is there you know and she was uh, talking i think in terms of of average gardeners in adding <coughs> excuse me in adding phosphorus to the soil um but that is something that uh, we continue to to battle um and i was kind of uh, amazed she's going to be on the show in a few weeks and i'm going to ask her about the phosphorus because it's um it's just one of those things that persists in our soil, and then it ends up in our water, and and then we have dead zones um, throughout oceans all over the world, which is not a concern of the Alliance for the Great Lakes. They got their own problems dealing with freshwater here in the Great Lakes. Uh, Lyman Welch, uh, thank you so much uh, for for explaining uh, 
the uh, the Waukesha decision, and and of course you guys will be monitoring it um, to make sure that they comply. Um, and I'm hoping that, like I saw online from the people who said this is a, a fair deal and it seems like it'll work, I hope it does. I mean, I, I'm hoping that this uh, uh, leads to more smart thinking about how we protect uh, our fresh water in the Great Lakes. Well, thank you very much. And it's, you know, with the attention of the, the 40 million people in the Great Lakes region that we can ensure protection and restoration of the waters in the Great Lakes. I appreciate having the chance to talk with you today uh, and uh, look forward to speaking with you uh, again in the future. I hope we do, Lyman. All right, you have a great Sunday. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio, 1680 AM, but I hope you're listening at q 4 dot org um can, can i mention a little something about the alliance yes yes so one of the ways to get people more involved and in, in paying more attention to what's happening in the lakes with invasive species diversions etc is to get to know your lake and if you don't live close we don't always remember it's there so one thing that the alliance does every year is something called adopt a beach which, oh, right. Yes, yeah, they do an, an Adopt-A-Beach. It's a great event, typically in September. It's open to the public, and they encourage school groups, uh, community groups, churches, in our case, sailing organizations, individuals, whoever wants to get involved um, to participate in a one-day beach cleanup. It's usually a couple of hours. It's lots of fun of picking up all sorts of really weird stuff. Refrigerators, tires, cigarette butts—you name it. Pick it up from the beach, and all. Uh, gets... Cigarette butts yes. is numero uno. Uh huh. It is the number one pollutant and waste product that ends up on our beaches. And even though you can't smoke publicly on beaches, people on their boats go bink right off, and and it's amazing what you find. On I know. Our can you believe? Yeah, I guess I can because they do it out of their cars. Yeah. But you idiots on your boats, flicking your cigarettes into the water. And dumping your beer cans and dumping other things. What kind of an effect does beer have on <laughs> the water? The it's the can. Oh, oh, they the just throw can. the can? Yeah, in the bottles. No! So, so I have... Have you ever... Have you seen somebody do that? Have yeah. you? Yeah. And So what, you know those big floating parties that happen off Chicago on nice warm summer weekends? Uh, no, because I'm not... Uh, I'm, Where everybody shows <laughs> up in their power boats and kind of jockeys for space and sits out there and has fun and... Yeah. Um, if you're driving by in Lakeshore Drive and you see large quantities of boats, especially if people are showing up during the big festivals and sitting on their boats. Okay, right. Oh, yeah, Lots that, of that. Drinking, I actually, stuff yeah, over the sure. side, okay. boats in the middle of the lake. <clears throat> anyway, so the um, Adopt a Beach is a one day cleanup that's tied into um, the Ocean Conservancy's global cleanup. And the point of it is not just to clean up the beach and get kids involved and communities involved, but to then catalog everything of what's been picked up, that data is reported to the Alliance. The Alliance reports it into the Ocean Conservancy. And the cool thing is it has affected policy. It has. Things like the six-pack cans that used to strangle birds and strangle wildlife. Um, Many companies like Coca-Cola stopped doing that because of the data of what had been reported after global cleanups for many years. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of, of the reasons why cigarettes don't show up as much anymore. That smoking on the beaches has directly to do with data that's been reported from beach cleanups. That's great. But we got to get these morons tossing their beer cans and their cigarettes off their boats. 
So if Yikes. you want to learn more, you can go to greatlakes.org, which is the Alliance's website, and click on Adopt a Beach. Find a beach near you. Volunteer to organize. Volunteer to participate. Um, I assume you up. do every year. I do that every year, and I've been a year-round beach captain as well. Have you really? Mm-hmm. Do you get a little cap? Do they no. give you a captain cap? No. no? I do have a T-shirt. Yeah? You get your 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 T-shirt. Arr, Arr. I'm the captain, <laughs> captain of this beach. Arr. Uh I was noticing some tweets here. Sarah's warning was was a really good one. Sarah Batka, who tweeted, say, "Okay, there's a difference between aggressive and invasive." Because one of the tweets was, "Could you tell me which uh, milkweeds are invasive?" And so, you know, my feeling is, I don't care. I want milkweed out there. So if it you know, invasive to whom? I'm not sure how much damage milkweed causes. There's, in my opinion, there's not enough of it uh, out there. Invasive to the guy with the um, heavy lawn chemicals. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and we did have uh, one of our tweeters, uh, Wendy, who said that she's seen three monarch butterflies. Um, I haven't. Oh, uh, but uh, Tree Guardian says he's he's got a photo of a butterfly weed with bonus a monarch caterpillar. Does he get a ding? He gets a ding. Give him a beer ding. Um, so I just wanted to, you know, I, I would what I would hate to have happen out of this is that folks say, "Well, I'm not planting milkweed because it's invasive." Well, no, I'm my feeling is plant it. You know, just put it wherever wherever you can. Uh, invasive to whom? Who's we'll, we'll, who, who's got the issue with it? That's what I want to know. We will retweet out that one. Um, we will. Okay. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio. And speaking of Q4, did you know that Genesis is the Midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies? Find out more at chicagoairbrushsupply.com or artsupply.com. Stop into their showroom, 2525 North Elston, and say you heard about them on Q4 Radio or the Mike Novak Show and get an extra 10% off their already discounted prices all month long. Genesis, Chicago's only privately owned art supplier serving all of Chicago's artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946. You're a gardener, and you've heard over and over again about how important it is to help our pollinators by putting native plants into your garden. And yet, you haven't really figured out how to make the switch. It's a little intimidating, right? You can never find the plants that you want. And you'd like some advice to go with those little blue stems, now wouldn't you? Fear no more. Natural Communities native plants are here, and you can get them online at naturalcommunities.net. Natural Communities native plants, they're locally grown and sourced, featuring more than 150 species native to the Chicago region. They have convenient online shopping and mail delivery, but they also appear at local green events where you can get those questions answered. Garden with plants that have thousands of years of natural design behind them and that have been working for thousands of years with our local pollinators and other fauna. Garden with native plants. And in Chicagoland, the way to do that is with Natural Communities native plants. Go to naturalcommunities.net. I think we should get Mr. DeMaio in here a little early today. So uh, let's take this break, and Rick DeMaio, meteorologist, will be with us. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? 
Get homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings, it's the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even healthy pets. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to help keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Looking for a housing investment that can pay big dividends? Remodel your kitchen or bathroom. You'll freshen up your home and add value to it, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling needs. Kitchens, bathrooms, master suites, and more. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. Everybody's sake. Oh, yeah. You never call, baby, when you say you will. But I love you still. I need you. Ah, now that's that's music, folks. Okay. I bet I bet even Rick DeMaio was singing along with that. Uh, Your call has been forwarded to an automated oh, voice messaging. Oh, there we Uh-oh. go. Uh-oh. All right. Yeah. Well, we got... I'll, I'll go call him. You fill some airtime. <laughs> no, you're not going anywhere. No, oh, you just get right back here. Uh, actually, um, one of the things that you mentioned to me, and I don't know if you still have that information, is that, uh, I, and I do, I have it here too, is there's a vote coming up. Oh, I know, MB, uh, the, uh, the GMO vote. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you, if you've got that, I know you're going through your files. Uh, apparently, the Senate is going to be voting on a GMO yeah. law this week. What's that all about? Um, on Thursday of this past week, uh, Democratic Senator Debbie St- um, Stebano of Michigan, Republican Senator Pat Robic- Roberts of Kansas, got a vote through the House, got a bill through the House um, to put some national standard, they're saying, on labeling of genetically modified products in food. Mm-hmm. And it's been being applauded by all your big groups, um, I think from the National Soybean Association, whose chairman is an Illinois soybean farmer, by the way, to the Grocery Manufacturers Association and all the major industry groups saying, yay, a national standard. So this week they're trying to push it through the Senate by the 30th because on July 1st, Vermont's GMO labeling laws go into effect. And that affects it somehow. Yes. Or actually, the, the new law would affect the Vermont law. Correct. The new law, if they can push it through, will 
make it unconstitutional for Vermont to have its own labeling laws. Uh-huh. Meantime, um, General Mills, Kellogg, Campbell's, Mars, Conagra are all scrambling to meet the individual labeling requirements for Vermont and what several other states are starting, which is very strict laws on the books that product has to be labeled if it contains genetically modified. So this new, new bill they've pushed through makes it very vague. It doesn't cover meat, dairy, eggs, and the label won't go into effect for two years. And the big push that all the, or the big opposition that all the groups have is they can put a QR code. They can put a go see our website, go call our 800 number. Yeah, I was just noticing, I got a, um, well, in Advocates for Urban Agriculture, Rebecca Oslin wrote uh, a, a message the other day from uh, Illinois Stewardship mm-hmm. Alliance, and she's been on this show before. She said, please call your U.S. senators and tell them you want mandatory on-package GMO labeling yeah. and do not support giving companies the option of merely providing a telephone number or QR code on food packaging. She says, personally, I am concerned that if a person were to scan a product once, they might not think to keep scanning that product on return shopping trips in case the company later began using GMO ingredients. Having a label right there on the product would make any such changes more apparent to a shopper, not to mention that anyone who does not own a smartphone would be unable to access information through a QR code at all. Exactly. So, so this is uh, coming up in the Senate this week. So um, I imagine if you go to um, uh, Illinois Stewardship Alliance. The By the way, uh, Rebecca Oslin wrote more. The Senate could vote next week. The House has gone in recess, will not be back in session until July 5th. So they will not have the opportunity to vote on the bill prior to the July 1st effective date of the Vermont labeling law. Right, we're, sure. we're, we're going to try yeah, companies don't have to be in, in compliance. Um, foodandwaterwatch.org has a lot more information on their uh, website. There we go. That would that would make sense, foodandwaterwatch.org. There's a number of organizations that uh, are. Yeah, just all you need to do is a quick search online for the latest in GMO labeling laws. There's a ton of it out there. Do we ever get? No, it's 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 ringy dingies right there. He, but he just texted you, right? Said yeah, and he there? just said, yep. Voice messaging system. And now it's going to, tell him it's going to his voicemail. Rick DeMaio. <laughs> Leave a message. Oh, wait. Tell him, please record your message. Yes. When see. you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. To leave a callback number, press 5. Beep. Hey, Rick DeMaio. It's Mike Novak. Peggy Malecki. On the air here. How oh. the heck are you doing? Yeah, good Good to talk to you, dude. Uh, listen, uh, we're trying to get a, a weather report. and uh, Maybe he calls in. Uh, yeah, so uh, why don't you try calling us at 312-985-7834. That would be cool. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. So going back to our GMOs. Yes. Um, Rick? Yeah, Mr. Mike Novak. Sorry about that. What what happened there? Do you have any idea? Uh, yeah, I'm actually um, outside of Burlington, Wisconsin. I'm camping. Oh, so we're we're yeah. wow, Burlington was where did you say Burlington, Wisconsin? Yeah, just uh, we're camping on a small farm, a friend's horse farm, and uh, tried to sleep last night through. Um, 75 degree temperatures and 72 degree dew points in the tent, and that doesn't work very well. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And thunderstorms. The thunderstorms wake you up at about 6:30, just when you get to then you get a two and a half inches of rain. That doesn't work well either. Oh man, did you get soaked? 
Um, no, we didn't get soaked, but there was a, there was a fair amount of rain around us. I got a, I got a decent tent. It worked out. Okay. Um, you're, all right. Um, yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I mean, I'm, I'll let you go back. No, no, no. I'm, I'm perfectly fine. I've been um, watching nature and uh, recording uh, some of the area rainfall amounts anywhere between two and a half and three inches across uh, southern areas of Wisconsin, which they definitely needed. Um, much of the Chicagoland area doing okay on rain, but when you go down into areas of um, uh, northwest Indiana where they've had pretty much 10% of their normal rainfall for the month of June. Um, it's kind of working out, Mike, like we typically see during the summertime as um, feast or famine. Uh, but again, it's um, uh, hoping that we'll uh, hopefully that we'll put a dent in that later on this afternoon when another round of rain comes in. So um, I don't know. I, I give this I give this June thumbs up, wouldn't you, Mike? I, you know, it's been odd. It's it's been uh, up and down, and it's kind of been up and mm-hmm. down the, in the same way that May was up and down. So we, yeah, right. we, we haven't really uh, settled into any one uh, particular type of weather, weather, except for the type that brings in a storm and cools it down, and then it goes. Right. Up. So we're going to have, and and it looks like we're going to have a, a similar situation today, is uh, won't we? Oh yeah, yeah. It's 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 pretty interesting because um, right now there's a, a weak cool front that stretches pretty much just from the west of Rockford uh, to the southeast of um, the Milwaukee area, and along that line, that's where the thunderstorms are going to develop. Now, on a scale of one to ten, with one being dry and ten being moist, the amount of um, humidity in the atmosphere is probably about a nine point five. Uh, but from a standpoint of instability. Uh, it's only about a three, so there's really not much to kick off the storms, uh, but there's definitely a lot to keep them going once they get going. And as was the case last night on my tent, um, these storms didn't move very much, so you can get some very, very heavy rainfall uh, over one particular area for you know a couple of hours. Nothing severe, uh, but as you mentioned, we get right back into you know pleasant, dry weather tomorrow and probably Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And you know what? I, I, I kind of talked about this last week where the pattern has developed into one uh, of this, you know, type of um, personality, if you want to call it that. And, again, we've seen these areas of low pressure develop over southern Canada, drag a weak cold front through, and that seems to be the case today with all the heat generally remaining, you know, well to the south and west of us and, and that's that's far that's 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 fine by my standard. <laughs> Can you explain what happened in West Virginia this week? Oh my God! Yeah, you know what? Um, that that area of West Virginia is extremely hilly. Um, and if if you, I was looking at the radar for a couple of days, and I was blown away by how the rain just remained so persistent um, right in the hillside areas or not hillside, but almost mountaintop areas, uh, right against the West Virginia, uh, well, it was really more like, like southwest, or I should say southeast West Virginia, uh, right up against western Virginia, if you want to call it that, basically the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, and you have some incredibly, you know, varying terrain there, very rolling hills, um, a lot of creeks that become torrents 
you know, of water, very, very fast-moving rivers um, in a very short amount of time. And the same complex of storms uh, that pushed through the Chicagoland area on Wednesday, you know, that was the day that we had the moderate risk for, you know, severe weather and the possibility of tornadoes, which we got, but they were largely, you know, weak tornadoes. And I think the event, uh, you know, by, by and large was, I think, over overhyped a little bit. That's not the meteorologist's fault. That's the media's fault. But that, that area of rain moved all the way into the eastern Ohio Valley and pretty much weakened and then was reinforced by, by a very slow-moving jet stream. So you literally had almost 36 to 48 hours of thunderstorms producing 6 to 12 inches of rain in a heavily uh, mountainous environment. Now, Mike, those things from a physical standpoint – from a thermodynamic standpoint, from a moisture standpoint, are going to happen. What shouldn't happen is 26 people die. So I can't answer the question why so many people either A, didn't heed the warnings, B, didn't know what to do, or C, um, didn't, didn't know how to protect themselves from, from rising rivers that, quite frankly, are, are very common to flood in those areas. That, that, was, that, was, that was heartbreaking. It really was. Yeah, the because and and I'm so glad to hear you say that because I I heard some people talking about it. Uh, they were interviewed and they said, "Well, we've gotten rain like this before, but I've never seen the results like this before." So I was wondering what was different about this. Yeah, and and and, and to be honest, I have not looked at the areas that were um, inundated. I did not look at the the reasons why they think people or so many people died. Uh, I know several years ago when uh, I think there were 12 people who died in the flood in Arkansas, uh, they were camping, and they were near a river uh, that flooded often. Um, and I think the Park Service was kind of criticized for allowing people to camp in those areas. And typically when you're camping, you know, you may not have your phone on, you may not have good cell service, or those people just didn't know about it. Uh, but the, the event in Arkansas, this was back in 2011, you literally had a five-foot wall of water come through, and it wiped out, you know, three campsites. But to have 26 people die, and it was kind of spread out, um, that, that, that just shouldn't happen anymore in this day and age. And I just don't know why. And the flood warnings were out. I mean, I was looking at the weather a couple of days before. They were talking about life-threatening floods, you know, whether or not, you know, that part of, quote, Appalachia um, still has people living in it that maybe don't have access to, you know, good warnings, good watches, good Internet service. I, I kind of find that hard to believe because, I mean, you walk through some of the more, you know, lower income, lower socioeconomic classes of, of regions of the United States, and everybody's got a cell phone now. And, and those warnings and watches should be coming out. So I, I almost feel like we've reached the tipping point where people should not people should not be washed away by by a by a heavy rainstorm. But that that's what happened, and that's again way too many way too many questions and a lot of unanswered a lot a lot of answers that I still think are um, are, are are very far away from from resolving at this point. Yeah, uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio here. Uh, you had mentioned last week um you were concerned not concerned but uh interested in uh the the temperature in the atlantic in terms of hurricane season oh, yeah. has it has that changed at all 
No, no. You know, we had Tropical Storm uh, Colin, Tropical Storm Danielle. Both of those storms fired up in, you know, water temperatures of 84 to 85 degrees. The Gulf Stream off the east coast of the Atlantic um, still running about 4 to 5 degrees above normal. Uh, Lake Michigan right now about 68 uh, right along the shoreline, which I'll take. That's nice. Um, but it, it still is a, a small part of the Atlantic that, that's above normal. Um, but I have seen some, um, some, some, some weather blogs from, obviously, um, you know, peer-reviewed, as you would call them, meteorologists and some experts that are thinking that they may actually uh, upgrade the uh, hurricane risk from near normal to above normal, um, A, based on the fact that we've had four named storms already, uh, and, and B, um, it's kind of happened in an environment where they thought, um, you know, you wouldn't be able to get storms developed in that type of um, uh, magnitude. Um, so, so, yeah, you know, some concerns still exist with that. Um, but um, I, think, I think it's more so, you know, long-term. This, this could actually, you know, work in our favor where sometimes you can get storms early in the year, and it's been shown that the water actually gets mixed up a little bit, and you get that, that first 15 meters of water kind of mixed in with the cooler water. But before you know it, by the end of July, you're back to near normal. Now, if, if you're looking at a, a way above normal by the middle to the end of August, then you begin to really worry. But, but sometimes early in the season right, right now, it doesn't really have that much of a long-term impact. Short-term it does, but long-term it might not. I, I like the idea of uh, changing the prediction uh, for the number of hurricanes after they've already... <laughs> yeah. You know what? And I, I hate to say it, but I, I really don't know why, why they do that from a standpoint of, the, you know... The, the number of named storms and the number of of, um, of major hurricanes, you know, they, they had a pretty good run for a while, but I think it's been clear that I really don't think anybody knows, um, other than maybe the fact that you could have storms early in the year, later in the year, further north, the season extended. I, I think as scientists, we get ourselves into... Um, um, into scenarios where, where we need to answer with a number, you know, some sort of quantitative number, because so much of what we do is based on numbers. So people want to know, what about, hey, how many hurricanes are we going to have? Um, it's just like snow. You know, how many inches of snow are we going to have? I don't think we're ever really for sure, you know, certain unless that there's some major climactic event. Um, but, I mean, if you take, like, last year's, you know, snow amount at O'Hare, uh, in November away, and, you know, we had like 24 inches of snow, which is what most people were thinking you'd get in a strong El Nino. But we, we, we really have to, like, pull back from some of these, you know, pure numbers, and then we go, oh, look, we were right. Um, I, I just don't, I don't know. Um, it, it's like how often do you hear, you know, oh, the flu season is going to be bad. They say it's bad every year, right? <laughs> and then they go, well, we think it's this one. Well, we're not sure. Well, We'll try this now. Yeah. So I think it's part of this immediate um, gratification that the public needs to have and they need to talk about, and it makes them feel comfortable about it. Well, it's a twenty-four. So, the twenty-four hour news cycle is 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 part of that as well. Uh, I just uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, before we get the forecast here, I just want to let you know I just got a tweet from uh, Annie. 
Uh, Annie Haven out in uh, California, she says she's listening as she harvests uh, Mupu tea in the pastures today, and she says the temps are going to go up to 107 in uh, California there. That's, wow. Uh, yeah. That's yeah the, I, mean, I mean, yeah, some of the heat out west early in the week, I mean, Blythe, California, hit 125. That's, that's or no, uh, 124. Uh, Eels hit 125. And, no, that was the highest temperature ever for Blythe. Uh, and it, and it, you know, exceeded that by two degrees. You know, we're not talking 115, 118, you know, 124, 125 degrees. Yeah. Um, it's just insane. Yeah. And again, that's, 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 that's mid-June. It's not even mid-July. Right. Um, so I, I think we're going to be talking a lot this summer about persistent heat out west, uh, persistent, you know, cycles of high humidity, you know, localized heavy rainfall, and then, you know, periods of cooler weather. Um, and, and I still haven't found the, the right summer that fits this pattern from, from years past. I've done some research to do on that. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we're kind of going in that direction. Usually by the time, well, I mentioned this before, by the time you get to the end of June, you're kind of like that. You're, you're, in, that, you're in that quote rut. Okay. Well, uh, then give us a forecast, and I'll let you get back to your tent. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, so again, uh, a pretty good chance of some slow-moving, isolated, drenching downpours, probably beginning sometime after about, you know, 1 or 2 o'clock, if anybody's heading out to the Pride Parade, uh, dress for temperatures close to 90, humidity levels, you know, heat index values, 93, 94. Um, even though the front comes through tonight and, and dries us out, the atmosphere doesn't really cool off much. So we'll still get close to the upper 80s tomorrow. A little bit of a late breeze tomorrow afternoon, but then a real cold air slides southward. Um, and it reaches us Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, this is your favorite temperature regime, Mike. Mid-70s. Yay! 73, 75, yeah. Uh, upper 60s right along the lakefront. Uh, so we'll, we'll go into a dry pattern for Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then again, looks like getting back into some warmer weather for Friday of next week. Um, but so far, this has been, you know, this has been nice. We've gotten the rain, we've gotten the warmth, we've got the humidity. Um, and as long as we can keep it going into um, the holiday weekend, we can put a bow on the end of um, uh, June. Uh, it sounds good to me. Uh, Rick DeMaio, always a pleasure. And um, like I said, go crawl back in the tent, and then you and I will talk again next week. All right, I'll pick up some Wisconsin cheese for you. Oh, yeah, do that. <laughs> that that's great. All right, take, All right talk to you next week. Thanks, you Rick. Bye-bye. Go green or go home.